We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before you guys listen to another episode of the Corner Podcast, make sure you guys show your support for the show by clicking on patreon.com slash the corner podcast and showing support for both Andreas and myself. We're trying to bring you guys exclusive content for the new year. That means exclusive shows, guest interviews, fan appreciation episodes, a little bit of everything on a weekly basis. And the way you get that is by signing up on patreon.com slash the corner podcast. There's different tiers, whether you guys want to donate $5, $10, or $15 a month. You guys get exclusive content and access to us, yes, both Andres and I, every single week. And this way, we can bring you guys the stuff that you want, such as merch, live shows, and even bigger episodes of The Corner Podcast in 2019. Thank you guys for your support. Now let's get into this week's show. We're here. What up, everybody? It's been a long time, two weeks since the last episode. But welcome to another edition of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here, the old man Andreas Hale in the building. Whew, we've done a lot in two weeks, and we're going to run down a lot of that stuff on this episode. Of course, we're going to update you guys on our experience at StarCast 3, headlining the event with our uh, Wrestling with Stereotypes 2 panel. And we're also going to talk about AEW, the show we went to the next night, All Out, what they did right, what they did wrong. We're going to look at the whole landscape of pro wrestling. We're going to preview UFC 242 uh, with Khabib versus Poirier. That's happening this weekend. Also, some huge boxing announcements, 
some legit, some with YouTube guys that we have to talk about as well. Um, but man, let's dive right into what has been a crazy couple of weeks for us, Dre. It's it's been wild. Yeah, it's it's been different. Since the last time we talked to y'all, we were doing wrestling with stereotypes. We were getting ready to go to Starcast, and then uh things got crazy. Moxie went and got, you know, couldn't get cleared. Um shit, I guess we'll just start with that. So for those who first of all, for those who attended the wrestling stereo with stereotypes panel or watched on fight, um, thank you. Uh we appreciate it. Uh the support was tremendous. Uh you know, I'm the ever loving pessimistic, so I didn't expect anybody to give a shit about this show. Kel on the other hand is the optimist and he expected great things and he wins. Um we had a damn near a full house. Uh we took a fantastic picture at the end. We had great stories, which we'll talk about. Um but yeah, it was a mess uh, the couple days before. So I believe Wednesday night, I'm getting ready for my flight uh, to Chicago. And I get an email at about, I want to say, 9, 10 o'clock. Now, mind you, earlier in the day, I spent eight hours on the shoot with Devin Haney and Michael Hunter uh, for a piece we're doing on The Zone for their fight that's actually next Friday. Um, so it's been a long day. I still had to pack, get my shit together, get an email from Conrad Thompson. Uh, I need to know ASAP, can you main event on Friday because Moxley's out? They hadn't made the announcement yet. I was one of the first people that knew that he was not going to be able to travel. So I'm like, cool. I think, Kel, I text you. We're like, yeah, cool. This is exciting. So I email everybody on the panel, and I find out there's a mandatory route through at the, at the, uh, the Sears Center where All Out's going to be at the same goddamn time. So that was fun. Because now I had to manufacture time to get all these people to and from the Sears Center uh, and be at our panel. So we had to shuffle our entire schedule. I, you know, it was like ch- wrangling cats. It's like trying to chase <laughs> wrestlers is like wrangling cats because they're all over the place during StarCast. You know, they're texting, some are responding, some aren't, couldn't find them. But, you know, it ended up being a success, man. Like people really enjoyed the show. Um, they just announced StarCast 4 in Baltimore. And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we'll be back. So, you know, without divulging too many details of what's going on, um, yeah, pretty sure we'll be back in the building with another edition of Wrestling with Stereotypes. Not sure what we're going to do yet, but, uh, man, it was it was great, man. And then the show itself, uh, that shit was fun. Nah, the show was incredible. Um, such a quick two hours. Like, the, the two hours flew by. Shout out to everyone on the panel. Um, Nyla Rose, Sunny Kiss, who's hilarious. Big Swole, who is great. Uh, we had Scorpio Sky, who's crazy funny. And who knew? <laughs> Nobody knew. Uh, Scorpio is hilarious. You know, his, his bit about them asking him to be like Super Hood in the Hood Wrestling promotion. That was great. And him walking out in tights, that shit had me in tears. Um, That was great. Private Party, who are future stars. It was great to talk to those two young dudes. And then, of course, uh, Fred came out after, uh, you know, formerly Darren Young. Talked about his experience with the WWE. He had Alexis Littlefoot come through. She was great. Uh, Mega Ran was there. Ron Funches, who was hilarious. Everyone was just so good, man. Everyone meshed so well. The staff at StarCast. And that's something 
you know, because the first time we were on the podcast stage and we did like a lot of the setup ourselves and, uh, you know, just bringing people on stage and so on and so forth was kind of like normal for us. You know, it was like grassroots style shit. Um, this one is such a bigger production. We had the full green room. I heard the green room was lit during the whole show. People walking out in the green room. Uh, so the staff getting the talent from the green room to the stage, the talent from the stage back to the green room. Uh, they're wilding out back there. Everyone just had so much fun. And it, it was so, so good that we, you know, we have to do it again. Um, you touched on some of the changes beforehand to the show. So all of these changes and we're mixing up the lineups and making sure everything goes well, coordinate this, coordinating this with the staff there at StarCast, all in the while, um, that Monday before, I ended up getting a call from my job here in Vegas, uh, which is Channel 8 News, and they were like, yo, we got to deny your request for vacation time for Friday. And it's like four days before the show. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, we can't do it. The person who's going to cover for you can't do it anymore. You got to work. And I was like, I got a show that's on television in Chicago. And they're just like, no, well, we can't do it. Can you work that morning and then fly out? <laughs> Ooh. I was like, is this, I was like, there's a time difference. One, like, or I can't even mentally be in that space. So I was like, no, I can't do it. I was like this, and this is an important show to me. So I'm, on Monday, I, uh, I was off, but I called my wife and I was like, yo, uh, I was like, I, I don't know. I was like, income-wise, like, it'll be a hit, but we'll be able to, like, survive it. You know, no more crazy shoe shopping sprees and shit for a second. But I was like, I might just have to quit this job. I was like, at the end of the day, the station's just like a nine-to-five to me. Like, news isn't what I really want to do. I was like, this podcast is what I want to do. That's my job. And uh, I was like, I might have to quit. And she was like, all right, just go to work the next two days. If they don't change their mind by Thursday, you got to do whatever you got to do. But if you got to quit, that's fine. And I was like, fuck, cool. So I woke up Tuesday about to go in and go to work. And I get a call from a number from Connecticut. I answer and it's ESPN saying, you know what, Kel, we want to offer you this job, which I've been interviewing and and flying out to Connecticut and back to Vegas for all month. um, And I didn't tell anyone. And they're like, well, outside of you, who's known since like yeah. the onset. Uh, and they were like, yeah, we want to offer you this job. Do you want to be a part of you know, our staff here at ESPN? And I jumped on that shit. And that was 1.30 p.m. on Tuesday. I hung up the phone at 2. I called the news station at 2.05. I was like, yo, I'm out. And, and quit that shit on the spot. No notice, no nothing. Like, yo, I, I'm not coming in again. Um, didn't tell them about ESPN, but I told them, I was like, yo, the show's too important for me. I just got to chase my dreams. I can't come in. And they're like, okay, we understand. We could have worked something out. I was like, nah, it's cool. I was like, I, I just got to gamble on myself. They're like, all right, wish you the best. Hung up and I was like, oh yeah, three weeks. I was like, three weeks vacation for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went out, we did the show. Uh, it was a nice little celebration weekend. So yes. after, <laughs> after the show, had drinks, that was fun. Went and watched a super dope indie show, G, uh, GCW, where a guy almost got his arm taken off, which is bananas, in some type of six-man ladder match. And, man, we just had a blast. I paid up on my on my debt. 
Yes. On my Moxley bet that you guys have heard on, on this show. Yes, I paid for Andreas' brunch. Yes, he decided to get a $90 Magnum bottle of champagne <laughs> during this brunch just to be an asshole. But I I paid my debt. Um, John Moxley is not going back to WWE. It was not a handshake deal. He will not be Dean Ambrose again. I, I paid up. <laughs> That's some legendary shit right there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I thought that shit was funny. So the meal was good, at least. I enjoyed the meal. I had as many glasses of that champagne <laughs> as possible to make it worth my while. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But, yeah, no, I paid I paid up on that, and, man, it was fun. Uh, it's good. I'm glad I paid for your brunch because you spent equally as much on merch and pins and craziness that weekend. So I'm glad I, really, I could help out. I really did. But yeah, yeah, man, it was, it was really, truly a hell of a week. Um, it's been a long time since I just, I mean, it, you know, there was moments of stress, but it was minor stress, man. And it, it ended up just being really good. And the response, again, I, I just can't say enough how the response was so overwhelming. People are still talking about this shit today. Like yeah. I'm still seeing it. And over at sport news, I sent them, I've got a link to the show and, uh, because we want to promote, are the good people that fight because they took care of us. Uh, we're going to put together a nice little highlight package of best moments from the show. And then we'll direct people because you can buy it for eight ninety nine if you just want to watch our show. I know there was a lot of people who just wanted to see our show, which is crazy because you had like CM Punk and you had Mick Foley. Foley. Who, yeah. Uh, who was at our show? Foley was in the crowd at our show. <laughs> Chilling, just watching our show like it was normal. Amazing. So, yeah. So you don't have to spend, you know, 50, whatever the amount was. I don't know how much shit was, but... You don't have to spend that. You can spend $9 if you want to support us. Um, and I'll explain why this is also important. Because, yes, everybody at StarCast was happy with our show. They were elated. Uh, Conrad told me numerous times throughout the weekend that this was the show he was really looking forward to the most. Even more than Punk. Because he knew what Punk was going to do. He was just really curious what we were bringing to the table. Um, but what I kept saying, what I said to Shivani, Matt Shivani and Tony Shivani, um, Dave Silva and the rest of the guys there, is I don't know who's going to show up for this because ultimately StarCast is still kind of lily white. Even though like we had this black crew, which was really dope. Um, Alexis, Aaliyah, myself, Will from 123Pins, Kel, um, and there were some other people that we had met. Obviously, Jason Fraser, a friend of the podcast, and a few other people. But it's still you know, kind of white. So I didn't know. But seeing all those people in the crowd um, was unbelievable. So now if people want to support the show and if you buy that show, that tells fight and tells everybody else. And not only were the people in Chicago interested, y'all were interested at home. And that gives them more reason to put us on the main stage at StarCast 4, which will be in Baltimore, which is black as fuck. So I, I really expect <laughs> a great show. Damn right. So there's that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, when I looked out into the crowd and there was people in like just rainbow colored sock. There was a chick. I wish I would have got her name. Um, nice woman. She thanked us like three, four times uh, throughout the weekend. But she had like the rainbow colored socks. She had the pink hair. She had uh, like the Rise t-shirt, like the wrestling uh, t-shirt with like the rainbow colors on it. Like I could tell she specifically came because of our show that day. Like she was geared out to show like, no, okay. Here's a show that's going to be talking about something I want to hear about. Um, and we had that huge uh, LGBTQ component to the show. Um, people who were on our show went 3-0. and 
at AEW. I'd like to say, you know, we, we gave him the rub on that one. So so that was great. It was just a, a super good weekend. Great turnout. Great people. Afterwards at the bar, everyone was so dope and nice. And everyone just coming up and telling us, you know, in the lobby that we killed it. We crushed it. Because when we're on a stage, it's so hard to, like, judge that. We, yeah. we just know that we're having fun on stage. But it's like, okay, we're hitting our cues. They're telling us, you know, when to get talent off, when to get talent on. We, we can't judge necessarily how it's going. So it, it was great to get that feedback afterwards and be like, okay, cool. We're on to something. And it was entertaining. And it was fun. And it was informative at the same time. And that's that's the biggest thing we can do. So, no, nah, that shit was great. Can't wait to do it again. Um, and then we came back to reality. Right? Yeah. We, we hit the ground running. This week started. We're back. We kind of recharged the batteries. Got back to Vegas. And then Dre... I look on your timeline, and you're beefing with an ashy MAGA lady? Oh, man. I, I, how did this happen? And I looked, her knees and ankles were ashy as fuck, so I can't I, be mad look, Listen, so it came across my timeline. Some, like, I don't even know how this got to me, but I saw a black woman who was a MAGA endorser. And I took a look at her picture, and I saw that she had very ashy feet and knees. <laughs> so be, me being me, I had to point this out because... The, the thing that I thought about immediately was the cultural disparity between when we talked about washing below the waist. So obviously, if you're on that side of the, of the tracks, you may not understand how to use lotion. So MAGA deserves you. That's what I said. You know, I was like, <laughs> whatever her name was, Tanisha something. I was like, here's Tanisha. Tanisha doesn't look moisturized below her ankles. Um, she decided to take this picture anyway. MAGA, you deserve her. So a day passes. And uh, all of a sudden, she responds talking about some you're black, you're bashing black women. Um, you have no respect for black women, black on black to get your your, your Twitter followers up. I'm like the fuck, because obviously this is a day later. And my thing is like, yo, I only pointed out that you had ashy legs. Like if you were, I, I didn't care what color you were, but you had ashy knees and ashy feet, and that's all I wanted to point out. So she tried to get the whole MAGA community involved, and I just said, and now today was the day. I just had the ether ready, and they all got it. The the blue-eyed, bleach-skinned, fake Kappa-ass minister that had, like, he he tried to come for me, America, this is what's wrong with black... Man, shut the fuck up. I, they all... <laughs> all of them got a piece of this action. And I know, like, I know there was a guy... The, the interesting thing was the dynamic of people who started following me because of the panel, they just had walked into some shit. Like, I had people like, yo, I came to support, and I was like, I walked into some political conversation. I'm like, no, nah, dog, it's not really political. This is just one of those things that happen. Trolls come for me. And in that particular situation, like, she tried to make it a Me Too movement. Like, yo, this is not Me Too. This, I'm simply pointing out that you refuse to use lotion. Lotion is like, look, black people, we know. <laughs> like, we don't take pictures without moisturizing our feet and, and knees unless we're accepting of the fact that somebody's going to diss us. It's going to happen. Yeah. You got to be open to be roasted. And then she, then she had the nerve to say, yeah, maybe I should have, but you didn't have to point that out because now you got everybody against me. No, I did. You, you did it. Like, black people, we point stuff out. This is what we do. Now, white people, y'all know how to use lotion, too. So there's really no excuse for this shit. There is a cultural difference. But for this particular woman who was MAGA, she tried to get the troops out and just had my timeline on fire. Um, I think this was yesterday, actually. Wednesday. It was actually a good contingent of black MAGA people. I was very surprised. They, yeah. uh, they, they mobilized quickly. 
They do. They do. And they're just like, you know, you're dissing us. This, look, look, man, you're supporting Trump. Like, I, that's what you get. Like, you're entitled to support whoever you want. But it wasn't like I came at them with this vitriol, like, you should die. I'm just like, yo, you deserve this woman. She got ashy knees and feet. That's and it. they ran wild with it. Like, they she could have just got some lotion. Like, she could have been like, yo, it's an off day. I'm going to take this L and keep it moving. She brought way more attention to her ashy knees than need be. That's what I'm saying. And then she, then she had the nerve to say she was an attorney and she was a mother of two. I'm like, you don't respect. Like, look, man, I got she a said, daughter. How dare you pull back the curtain and tell <laughs> white people about lotion? Yo, I'm so, I was so, look, I was so entertained because I'm like, yo, I didn't know this was pulling back. I didn't know this was like some best kept secret that black people use lotion. I didn't know this. But alas, here we are, crazy ass woman. Uh, I guess she's got a book on why Trump should win. Like all these people are getting at me and like just mad retweets. But I was just like, yo, I don't care. Who knew? Like, lotion is like the secret of Wakanda. You just let everybody know that it existed. I just, like, you didn't know. I don't, like, this is not my fault, dog. Like, y'all should know this. You're bad. Not mine. (laughs) She clearly doesn't know how to use lotion. No, and that's why she is MAGA. Damn, her knees are just all bad. I don't even know how you get your knees that ashy. Like, you got to be, like, kneeling down on concrete and then just decide to pop up and take a picture. Oh, man, that was, like, next level ashiness. Yeah, like, at that point, you just got to, you got to take the L. You got to go old school hood. And, and just lick your hand and rub your knees. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say. It was like a, a well-produced picture, too. Like, she knew. She knew her she, knees were ashy. So that that shit was funny, man. The blue-eyed pastor who A.J. Springer, reverse Rat Pat member, pointed out, lied about being in a fraternity at yeah. some point and roasted his ass for it. Whew. My God, I just, you know, and and that's why I kept saying, I was like, that shit didn't work out the way you expected it. Like, every time they kept coming for me, I'm like, this is not going to work out the way you expect it to. Like, (laughs) you have blue eyes, bleached skin, and you faked being a Kappa. And then, like, all the homies came in and was just like, yo, pointing out this dude's flaws, pointing out her flaws. Like, none of this shit worked out the way you wanted it to. But cheers to MAGA, because you entertained me all throughout my Wednesday. Thanks. That shit is so funny. And if we weren't entertained enough by that, uh, dudes who came through and held it down on Patreon while we were gone. So if you guys thought we had a long hiatus uh, of the show the past two weeks, um, Patreon, we actually dropped three episodes on Patreon. uh, Thanks to my dudes on Views from the 7. They came through. They joined me for this Jay-Z conversation, which seems to have taken on a whole new life currently as we're recording this due to one of the places cutting people's dreads off that they uh, Jay-Z donated to. We'll save that for next week. Yeah, geez. but geez, this shit's crazy. Uh, let me see where this is going. Um, but we talked about the whole Jay-Z situation, and I leaned on their personal uh, experiences to kind of tell different narratives of uh, what Kaepernick's original mission was, and those guys were great. Uh, so we have three Patreon episodes, probably, at, I think it's like two and a half hours worth of content on Patreon while we were gone. So shout out to those guys, including the episode with AJ Springer, who also tackled the subject. So plenty of stuff on Patreon there. Um, thanks to them. So we get back, though, and on their show, they have a special episode last weekend where they release, release the top 20 R&B albums of all time. All time, Dre. And they had a full uh, podcast. You guys can check them out, Views from the 7, to listen to that show. 
um, where they run down and explain how they got to this top 20. And I went, checked out the dude yesterday's, uh, you know, I went, I was on their show, like, yo, what up? I had to, you know, make a surprise appearance and let them know that they fucked up. So I was on there. I wasn't letting them live it down. I told them exactly where they fucked up. It was the process. I understand where it went wrong. But a lot of shit got left off. But still, they, they held fast to some shit not even being mentioned, and it's criminal. Uh, if you guys haven't seen the list before Dre ripped this shit to shreds like he did before <laughs> online, um, 20, Crazy Sexy Cool by TLC, 19, Emancipation of Mimi, Mariah Carey, 18, What's the 401, Mary J. Blige, way too low, 17, Coming Where I'm From, Anthony Hamilton, 16, Justified, Justin Timberlake, 15, <laughs> uh, Let's Get It On, Marvin Gaye, which is 15, way too low. Uh, only thing before 1990, by the way, on this list, um, or I guess 1980 before this list. 14, I'm ready, Tevin Campbell. 13, unpredictable Jamie Foxx. <laughs> 12, uh, I just want to sing. Yeah. Music, yeah. Music, Soul Child. 11, Life 268192 oh by Life Jennings. 10, Hard by Jagged Edge. Nine, All That I Am by Joe. Eight, TP2.com by R. Kelly. This list, and they made a disclaimer, it's before cancel. You know, it's without cancellation. They admit R. Kelly's canceled. They were just doing an all-encompassing list of R&B. And they came up with TP2.com. Uh, seven is Destiny Fulfilled by Destiny's Child. Seven greatest R&B album ever. Uh, six is My Way by Usher. Five is Thriller by Michael Jackson, which... They did not include Prince in the category of R&B, but Thriller is included. Four, Confessions by Usher. Yes, that's two Ushers in the top six. Three is Baduism by Erica Badu. Two is Where I Want to Be by Donnell Jones. The second greatest R&B album of all time is and I Where love I Want to Be but no. by Donnell Jones. And one is Brown Sugar by D'Angelo, which actually I'm not upset about. At least that's in the top three for most people. So... This, yeah. The only reason I saw this was to yeah. tell. I, like, again, I was busy doing my own shit. I got a lot of shit going on. Obviously, you know, the people that I follow, I tend to look at their shit. Kel's one of them. He's my friend. Saw this shit. Saw the list. <laughs> Had no idea who did the list. Just saw the list at first. Then I looked at the list. I immediately got mad. Because <laughs> you're an R&B-ass dude. We talk about it every now and then. You know, you're the hip-hop uh, career-wise aficionado. But people, we talk about, you listen to a ton of R&B. A ton. You don't a even ton. be listening to rap all the time. You'd be like, yo, I'm just in my R&B smooth guy shit. Yeah, so I see this list, and I'm just like, this is egregious. Because <laughs> there is no fucking list that exists of the 20 best R&B albums on the planet without a Jodeci, Stevie Wonder, or Prince album. And if you have that on your list, look, I get opinions are subjective, but it's the equivalent of saying Mike Conley's a top three point guard in the history of the NBA. Yes. You're fucking up. But not putting Steve Nash on that list. You're not putting Steve. You're not putting Isaiah Thomas. Not Celtics Isaiah Thomas. I'm talking about the Pistons Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> like It's like having a shooting guards list and having Mitch Richmond at number three. You can't <laughs> do it. You can't do it. Things are subjective and some things are egregious. Jodeci, then, then one of the uh, who was Dante had the nerve to say that there was too many skips on Jodeci's diary of Mad Band. Yes, and they held true to this when I talked to him yesterday. This I was like, "Where are the skips? Show me the skips!" Like, show, like, listen, I know that album front and back between like Feenan, "My Heart Belongs to You," 
um, alone. Like that album is is ridiculous. Now, on top of that, if you're gonna make this argument that Jodeci has too many skips on Diary of a Madman or Forever My Lady or the show The After Party, oh, you pick any one of those three albums. Damn, all three argument. were so good. If you're gonna make that argument and you're gonna include fucking Jamie Foxx in your top ten, <laughs> we got a problem. You don't you don't know R and B now. Other thing, one of the greatest R&B albums of all time, hands down, is either Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder or Inner Visions. I'm an Inner Visions guy. Both of them belong in this list. Songs in the Key of Life, I would say, is a little better. It, and a, I respect Stevie Wonder. No, we ain't going to go. No, I do. This is not about stage show. This is about quality of music. And but, Stevie gets busy. But the point is, is that you have none of them on this list. <clears throat> none yeah. of them. No Stevie. Prince. You have Thriller on the list. I'm, I'm going to say this. You have Thriller on the list, but you don't have Off the Wall, which is a true R&B album. Like, Thriller was a little pop. Human Nature and maybe like two of the songs are probably the most R&B songs on there. Nevertheless, okay, if you want to have Thriller, but you don't have Off the Wall, but you have Life Jennings, we have a problem. At 11. 112's debut album which is maybe slept on by a lot of people, but was absolutely fantastic. It opens up with one of the bangers for the bedroom. Now that we're done, that's not on your list. Jagged Edge has three albums better than hard. Three. Three. At least uh, what's their best album is... Pick one. Shit, yeah, I mean... Like, uh, Thrill, J.E. Heartbreak? Jagged Little Thrill. Yeah, Jagged Little Thrill is probably the best one. But you picked the fourth best album to land on your list? You got to be out of your fucking mind. And then one that I didn't even think about until later, and I didn't even tweet about it. You don't have a shot A album on here, and you're talking about R and B. A lot of people said that, but I, I got to go back and listen to the shot day to see Man. like how it how it rocks all the way through. But I I, I doubt that it's not smooth all the way through. Oh, the yeah. one that you highlighted that I really opened up and I listened to this weekend. Was the Maxwell album? Come on, man. Which one? Love her, Urban Hank Sweet or yeah, uh, no, uh, Hank Sweet? Yeah, Hank Sweet. And I was like, oh, this is this is funky right here. That shit had me bouncing around the crib. I was like, okay. I was like, no, I'm not not mad at this. Uh, yeah. So it, it's crazy. And a lot of people mentioned Voodoo. Yes, Voodoo. Is- even the better D'Angelo album. My opinion, it is. In my opinion, the Voodoo album is better than Brown Sugar. Brown Sugar was groundbreaking, ushering the Neo Soul era, but Voodoo was the better album. But you're, you're splicing hairs here because, like, Voodoo had Untitled, which was like the women's jam, not because D'Angelo was ass naked in the video, but it was a jam. It was like Before the Prince's jam. I was like, come on, man. You don't have Purple Rain? Like, you don't have a Prince album on here? Are you kidding me? Purple Rain at least got to make. I mentioned this yesterday. I guess they just don't like Prince. I was like, all right, listen. But sooner or later, when you're making a list, you have to be objective. Yes, you have to, to, to look to at a certain this. amount. It's, it's, come on, man. It's wild. Like, you can't. So, so without spending too much time, because I know y'all want to hear about pro wrestling, combat sports, and a bunch of other shit. Here's my issue. Like, you're entitled to make your own personal list. But when you put this list out to the public, I need to know what you want out of this list. Because if you put this list out, you know you're going to get slandered. Like, my man who put out the list of the greatest rappers of all, all time put Joe Budden number three. Nobody knows who you are. <laughs> oh, nobody yeah, knows who you crushed. are. Yeah, but nobody knows who you are, but everybody's seen that list. It doesn't help your brand. So my thing is, if you're going to put a list out like this, you need to have a follow-up quickly. Because you're... you're it, it, there's no such thing as 15 minutes of fame on Twitter. It's like three seconds. You don't have a lot of time before the words become bigger than your brand. And that's what happened with this list. 
Now, whether you agree with it or not, it's completely up to you. I lean on the side as it's complete and utter bullshit. But that's what it is. But you got to also qualify this thing. Like, these are personal preferences. Like, this this is not a GOAT list. It's not. This is my favorite list. Big difference. Which is always my my thing with hip-hop lists. And that's what we said when the Joe Bunnett list, or when Joe Bunnett was number three. I was like, this is fine if this is someone's favorites list. My favorites right. list is all over the fucking place. Yeah. But I have also a best ever list where I am objective and I can be objective with, you know, a little bit of personal opinion in there. But I, I'm not going to go off the fucking rails. Like, it's going to look somewhat similar to what a greatest of all time list should be. Maybe two spots are off all the way throughout the list. But barely there. Like, it's like us doing a pro wrestling list. Like, we just can't go off the fucking rails if we did a pro wrestling list. Exactly. You know, Invisible Stan can't be number four. As much as I want to put Orange Cassidy number two after this past weekend, I can't do it. You can't. And that, and that's what this is like. Life Jennings? Like, <laughs> I mean, I keep saying, I keep going back to Jamie Foxx. And I thought the Jamie Foxx album was really good for that time, for that year, all time. Like, dog, you didn't, y'all didn't have a Luther Vandross album on there? Are you fucking nuts? And you call it, like, you should have qualified this as like an R&B list post 90 or something. Because you ended up putting Marvin Gaye on the list. Which means that you're including a, a whole yeah. nother era. That's that's that was the biggest thing. It's like fuck Marvin making the list hurt because it shows how much we're left off from that time period. Yeah, so it's which, just like man, yeah, which kind of shits on all contemporary R and B. So you got to kind of like qualify. It should have been like '90s on, in which there still wasn't enough from like 2010 and on. Um, yeah. I look back like Free Black was so dope, so much yeah. doper than a lot of shit on here. Yeah. So and then there's this other thing that I always think is interesting because rarely do I ever really pull rank on who I am, what I do and what I've done. Somebody like tried to point out like the industry felt like this. The industry felt like this. Who cares about your opinion? Motherfucker, I am the industry. I've been doing this for a lot longer than some of y'all have been alive. I've been listening to music and I have been writing and, and documenting hip hop and music in general for 15 years. I have worked for the Grammys. You are the old have, man for a reason. <laughs> I, I have done the BET Awards. I have voted for the BET Awards. I am the industry. I may not be the top of the top. I may not be Elliot Wilson, but I guarantee you those motherfuckers respect my opinion. They always have. And the sites that I've ran have been very qualified sites. I'm not like some blogger from down the street who only has like three people listening to his shit. I'm not that guy. Like I've been in front of a big audience doing this shit. So when people say dumb shit like that, like, Yo, you you need to listen to the industry, motherfucker. I voted on these albums. Like you, <laughs> y'all gotta y'all don't. I like, gave Kanye five mics. That's what you gotta say. I yeah, gave like, Kanye motherfucking five mics. I wrote that review. <laughs> I wrote that my beautiful dark twisted fantasy uh, album got five mics. I did that. I like that was my pen. Those were my words. I was the one who was there when like this. But I don't need to do all that because people need to do their research before you start commenting on shit or. You start making these fucking lists. That's my point. <laughs> oh, man. It's like, come on, guys. Let's do your homework. You just reminded me of Judge Tread. I am the law. Yes. <laughs> it's like, man. And, and, that, and that's, no, that's the script of the guys from the Jews from the 7. I'm talking, this is, these are some other people that were saying some shit to me. And I was like, yo, that, don't talk the, about the The noise shit. even around that. And I mean, I've been guilty of this, too. So I understand kind of to a point where they were coming from. It's like when you put out an opinion and then other people's. While that's opinion kind of gets latched on and you're responding to them, 
you get caught up in a lot of the bullshit. Yeah. So a lot of their stuff became responding to other dumb ass people. And then you're like, fuck, like I'm now I'm wrapped up in this crazy conversation over here. And yeah, the shit just snowballs and the next thing you know, you're king of hot takes. Yeah, but it's just, you know, you got to know, like when you make a list like that and say, you know what, I'm going to put this in the public. I'm going to put this in the atmosphere. It's cool to have a living room conversation with your homies. Like three people can dish you, right? Like, yeah, man, your opinion sucks. That happens. But when you put into the atmosphere, like obviously you want attention and now you got it. But now it's like, what are you going to do with it? What do you do with that attention? Yeah. Now you just got to, and that's, you know, I know a couple of things about hot takes in my day. Um, <laughs> that now it's okay. You have to then, like, you, your brand can't be. I have a shitty hot take. That's exactly. Your your brand has to be. I am very good at having conversation. Now, if my hot take is shitty, I am willing to listen to everyone's reasoning to why it's shitty. And my job now is to make sure. And I'm very good at. You know what? I'm good at creating the conversation and listening. And at the end, if I was wrong, I have to eat that and say I was wrong. John Moxley is not coming to <laughs> back to WWE. <laughs> I have to eat that and say that I was horribly wrong. But it created a hell of a conversation for a second. And you know what? Sometimes it's going to be wrong. Sometimes it's going to be right. Mayweather fought Conor McGregor. You know what? I'm right every now and then. Fuck it. You know, NXT is coming to television. I, we talked about this like a year ago. Yeah. So, sometimes I'm right, so you know that you just got to stand by it. You got to got to hold your ground. Like, and I told them that you know when I spoke to him, I was like, "Listen, this is a shitty list, and your next one better be really damn good, or your your next whatever." Because they've had really good episodes of their show. Like, uh, they put out these bonus episodes that are very different than their weekly show. Uh, they're not all lists. Like, they do really good interviews. Like, they had uh, this woman who was uh, involved in human trafficking. Now she writes books about it. It's an incredible interview that they had. Um, they had this dude, BJ, who does uh, emotional availability for black men. And he has this whole campaign. And he has a YouTube series. And it's amazing. So they have these great special shows. I was like, listen, you better start telling people about that shit and keep bringing those type of shows out. Because, you, listen, you, you are hot right now for the one you bricked on. Bring the narrative back to the ones you don't brick on. And yeah. continue the conversation. Because at least you show you drive conversation. So I was like, make sure you highlight the good shit that you've done. Because best believe, my hot takes sometimes go off the wheels. But I'm never going to let you forget that I got McGregor Mayweather right. Yeah, Always well, bring that shit back to the right hot take. Last thing before we get into combat sports. Because people that are new to the show after coming to our panels, like, what the hell did I just walk into? Sorry, guys. But this is my last thing. When it comes to anything, whether it's a list, an opinion, my biggest thing is to be very well-versed in knowing how to defend your position. Your position can't be, this album had too many skips. Your position can't be just because I like them. Like, it can't be that. You need to know, especially when you have a take that's unpopular, you need to know how to defend it. So my, like, when I worked at Hip Hop DX as the editor-in-chief, I was very diligent in making sure that my writers, whether they gave a review, first of all, I used the whole thing. That was one thing we did at DX, and a lot of people did it later, was... I use the whole scale, zero to five. We've given albums zeros. We've given albums fives. <laughs> but you need to be able to defend that position. And you need to be consistent in your defense. So if you say this out, like, as a unit, because one person write the, writes their view, I oversee everything. As a unit, 
I have to like I question things like, oh, you gave this a four, but you kind of trash this. Defend this for me. Am I right? I challenge all my writers to do this. I challenge people to do the same thing. If you have a position, you need to be able to convince me, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, that there's some merit behind what you're saying. You can't your 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 argument back can't be he's trash. Your argument back can't be there's too many skips. The argument can't be like when I say why is Jamie Foxx on this list, you better be able to give me a real good rundown of why Jamie Foxx is on this list. If your favorite wrestler is goddamn Chad Gable, you better f- explain to me in great detail why he's better than Bret Hart. You have to. Otherwise, it, you you get no credibility. Yeah, you, you just be sound crushing like a lot of my a lot of my takes in this group chat yeah. with this uh embrace debate philosophy yeah. no, I'm, I'm all about this life and I, i'm all about like i'm all about stats numbers history like i'm all about these things if you come at me with some bullshit argument i'm going to debate you to death because i know both sides of the argument i can i may even see your side but you won't know it that's how i play this game i play dirty man like i listen, but you ain't going you ain't going to know it i'm going to defend my position and even when i'm wrong i'll admit that i'm wrong but you won't feel comfortable being right that's how this shit works. Let's talk about some goddamn comments. <laughs> That's so true. It's so fucked up, but it's so true. Uh, man, we outside of all of this, we had a huge weekend in pro wrestling. We were there for some of it. Some of it we had to watch afterwards, but damn, was it good. So let's start with something we were there for, AEW All Out. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's talk about it. Uh, all right. Because... I didn't dislike it, but I see the narrative on the company changing. And I know I can't be the only one. There, For the whole summer, everything was like through rose-colored glasses, right? Um, even starting in May. Like, every, they could do no wrong for a while. It seems as though the closer we get to television and that it's not everyone's little, I don't know, it's never been an indie, but everyone's best kept secret or they might have to actually take some of the philosophies that WWE has had or that weekly television model or just that booking model and all this. The more they're blending that in, I see more people having this this trepidation and more not even realistic comments because this shit has no gray area. People are going all the way to the left and crushing this pay-per-view. It was long. I'll give that. It was long as shit. Unnecessarily long. Outside of that, though, like, it had good spots. It had its moments. That ladder match was incredible. Um, And we didn't expect anything else. Moxley not being on the card kind of took away from the story. But the Pac match was okay. With Kenny Omega, it was above average. So it had its good spots. It was just, yeah, it wasn't an A+. I would probably give it a B. But I see people going all the way left. And saying it wasn't good at all. This just kind of goes back to what I was just talking about, about people and their opinions and having trash opinions and not really knowing how to have a nuanced conversation. Look, I I love pro wrestling. I think I, we mentioned this on our panel. I want them all to win because I want uh, this wrestlers I like everywhere. I yeah. want the shit to win. Um, all that wasn't a perfect pay-per-view, right? And I don't think anybody really expected it to be. Look, the bar said high. But I've said before, I think the best promotion this year in terms of consistency are two, NXT and New Japan. Yep. AEW's still relatively new to this. And they've only this is only their second one, double or nothing and all that. I don't really count Fighter Fest or Fight for the Fallen. 
Those felt like, you know, like TV specials, like Clash of the Champions. I don't count that shit. Yeah. But, yeah. but the, the pay-per-views, this particular one, um, yes, they did lose out because they didn't have Moxie. It was a prominent match in the card. Um, but I think Pac made up for it. It was still a great match with a surprising finish that carries a, uh, a narrative into television. Um, the ladder match, I thought that's a five-star match. A Canadian destroyer off the top of the ladder, that's just one spot. But I thought this was, I thought this was fantastic. Yeah. It, was it the greatest Young Bucks match of all time? I don't know. But I thought it was a five-star match, my personal opinion. There was also a five-star match that I thought happened in NXT UK. It's just the way I felt. Um, the main event, I thought it was really good. I thought Paige and Jericho was actually really good. I felt like Paige was a little slow to start, but I felt like that the, the stretch that, at the end was great. I thought it was, I thought it was a great match. And yeah, the finisher was a little weird. I'm not sure about the spinning back fist for Jericho. I like it because um, it, bust, it busted Paige open, and if, no, if you protect the move, it just gets better. But that's like when uh, Cena started using the Tiger Claw shit. Like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Yeah, but there's no impact on that. That's the spinning back fist. Is, is, is just the way that it lands, it lands with impact. Like, I'm fine with that. But I'll say, this is what I'll say. No pay-per-view is going to be perfect. And people that are trashing the pay-per-view, you just have no nuance. Because you can sit there and watch fucking WWE and, their, and some of their shitty pay-per-views, and then you're just going to say that this one's trash too? Come on, guys. Like, come on. Like NXT, if, if the direct competition for AEW is going to be NXT, I still say they lose out on the quality. I mean NXT. Look, look, NXT has been. They, but they've been around for like five years. See, that's the right. other thing. It's like NXT has had such a head start on them. Their roster is fucking loaded, even compared to AEW. No disrespect to the Young Bucks and what's now LAX and a great tag team division. They're still not such an NXT in terms of quality of roster. The no. women's the women's roster is nowhere near as good as NXT. Candice Candice LeRae, Io Shirai, like Bianca Belair is a homegrown talent. Their, their women's roster is stacked still down there. Yeah, but the, the thing is, is and it's, you know, it's, it's not just the talent you have, it's how you utilize the talent, right? And that's been a lot, that's the complaint on the main roster, because we've seen a lot of the guys on the main roster turn in fantastic matches. Yep. Nakamura, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, but the wrong you guys. Look at Cesaro and NXT UK turning in yeah. a fantastic match. So, so it becomes interesting when people start shitting on the product. It's like, look, man, just say, just don't watch it. At a certain point, it just becomes, if you really don't like it that much, just don't watch it. You don't really want them to win. You want them to lose. Yeah. And if, if, it, if it starts becoming apparent that you want something to lose, just tune out. Like, like, think about it. In hip-hop, there's music that I don't necessarily care for. Now, the only reason that I listen to it is because I had to review it. But if I don't have to listen to it, I'm not going to listen to it just so I can go on social media and tear it apart. This shit makes no sense to me. I don't understand why people do this. But people have a hard-on for breaking down AEW and trashing them before they even hit television that they don't give opinions that are nuanced. They just go out there and say, this sucks. It doesn't make any sense, guys. I thought I thought All Out wasn't a perfect pay-per-view, but I thought it had great spots. I think the Dark Order is something that they're really fucking up with, and they're going to keep trying to shove it down our throats, but the shit don't work, and that really messed up the momentum of the, of the card. Like, really messed up the momentum. But other than that, this was a good pay-per-view. It's good. Yeah, the uh, the women's match had good spots, but yeah, they couldn't revive the crowd, really. No, the crowd was dead. They were out of it after that. After that Dark Order match, they were through. Yeah, it took the ladder match to get them back into it. And then and then you made that point. Less is more. If NXT is talking, it's crazy because the WWE company is really teaching this shit. If there's anything that works, just give us less. I don't need five hours. 
three tops. Get in, get out. Six matches, maybe five matches. I know you guys got a, a ton of talent on the roster, but trim it back. I think that's the same problem with the WWE is that we have a pay-per-view every month and you have Raw and SmackDown. That's five hours and you're going to have a pay-per-view. It's like four hours or five hours and you have NXT. It's like 12 hours. It's like a half a day of television. At a certain point, you're burnt out. So it's hard. So like with NXT now, you have takeovers almost quarterly. So it's like you, you build anticipation. So when you see it, it's here and then it's gone and you can appreciate it. All that was just it was long. This shit was long. I don't need my. I don't need to be there for six hours. I don't. Yeah, that show was like SummerSlam. It was. It was long, long. So I was like, all right. Um, some of the matches. I thought the Casino Battle Royale was actually well done. I thought yeah. that was cool with Nyla Rose winning. I like that a lot. Um, Private Party versus Angelico and Jack Evans was was really fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that was great. Private Party, they just continue to show out. And on the television debut, it's them versus Young Bucks. Yeah. So that that's going to be a great way to introduce them to a national audience. Um, SoCal Uncensored versus Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Uh, or Jurassic Express and Marco Stunt. That was cool. Luchasaurus was had his spots. It was fun. Luchasaurus is like super over, too. Oh, crazy over. Like, he has to have a singles push here in a second. Um, Dude, I, thought, I thought the Darby Allen match was great. I, that was, I, it wasn't like the five-star match, but I thought it was really fun. The Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah. Jumped off the joint with a barrel. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, it's what we expected from Havoc, Allen, and Janela. He had a mouthful of thumbtacks. No, I mean, again, these are like, even, okay, I know you don't like Cody Rose in the ring. But we're not. getting to the point now that Cody has had three AEW pay-per-views with three really good matches. What's three? I give him the two. three. So at All In, it was him and Nick Aldis for the NWA title, which was much better than anybody expected with yeah, a seminal yeah. moment at the end. I didn't like that at one du- so much, but okay. At Double or Nothing, it was Dustin Rhodes, which you great could match. Argue, great, you could argue was like a classic match. It's his best match ever. I didn't go that and, far, like already. Yeah, I mean this. I I say it too. This match with Sean Spears wasn't bad. It was not a bad match. It wasn't bad because, no, I've seen him have bad matches. This wasn't bad. We had. Um, like, this was a perfectly fine and serviceable match. Like, I was in it. Yeah. Spears, Spears' contacts were weird and kind of threw me off. But the Arn Anderson run in, like, Cody. Arn Anderson fig- had the biggest pop of the match. Let's be real. Yeah. Cody's figured something out. Yeah. Cody's figured out that he doesn't need to headline the cards, but he can still tell a different story in his matches with these elaborate entrances and with these matches that are almost WWE style with like the run in and with the drama. Cody is Triple H. Let's just be real. Let's let's put this shit on the table. Like he is Triple H. He, he criticized the man on his way out. I'm not sure if they they like each other. He's not burying anybody. That's the issue. Triple H was burying everybody. But right now, everything else booking aside, he is Triple H. He's the elaborate entrances. Each pay-per-view, he's relying heavily on nostalgia, where Triple H does so with DX in a lot of these bigger moments. And we've seen that. Triple H, you know, always calling back to DX or now hopping on whatever bandwagon he decides to hop on when he shows up, whether it's Bullet Club or whatever it may be. Um, and the Too Sweet and all this stuff in the club, Triple H relies heavily on that. Cody, and I, I think it works for him, relies heavily on his family name right now. The biggest pop Cody got in this match was using Dusty's elbow. 
Easily. Like, it led to his finisher, and it's really what made the match worthwhile. Like, using that elbow, um, he uses, like, the bulldog. He he did a lot of little shit. Like, he used, like, the, the gold dust or Dustin Rhodes style bulldog at one point. Uh, he, he calls back on a lot of nostalgia in this shit. It, it, it is. Nostalgia with an O. <laughs> People on Twitter who get that. Uh, yeah. Nonetheless. Um, but that that's what he relies on. And he's not trying to be... And I I applaud him for that. When he first went to the Indies, it was glaring how much he couldn't keep up with these guys, right? And ROH, his little stunt, stint in New Japan, he tried to be that. It wasn't him. It's like hip-hop. Like, he he's not the rabbity rap-ass dude. So sooner or later, don't try to be. Be Luda. Like, you know, be, be who you are. Be someone different. And he found that. Like, now he's not trying to be the wrestly, wrestle-ass dude. He's like, I know what I do. I'm going to hit my spots. I'm going to play off my dad's name a little bit, which is dope. They played off of Arn Anderson. Just a lot of nostalgia. Tully being there and then Tully going to the back. That that all played a part. Now, you know, bleeding is a little bit in his in his bag. His match is going to have some color. We, we just know where it is, but it makes it palatable now. So it's not a knock. He's still just not a good wrestler, but he found something that works good for him. And you know what? I can't knock that. Well, I will disagree with you that he's not a good wrestler. He's not a great wrestler, but I think he's a perfectly fine wrestler. I like Cody even when he was at, in WWE, so I don't think he's bad. There's a lot worse than Cody Rhodes. There's, but, there's worse. I mean, that's, I'm not saying he's the, the bottom floor of this bar, but he's for a top guy, which he is now. And, and again, during WWE, it was fine. You can, you can be a character mid-card guy and be fine. Like, Elias is fine with me. I don't, I don't care about Elias's in-ring performance. I don't care. He is perfect for the spot he's in. Baron unless Corbin... He of, unless he wins King of the Ring. Sure. Then we have a dilemma. Sure. Baron Corbin the same. Baron Corbin is fine until he becomes a main you know, event player and he's going against Seth Rollins and he can't do shit. In the mid-card, Corbin is fine. I think The Miz is the perfect example of saying... You know what? People kind of really hate him when he was a top guy because he couldn't work like a top guy. But the character is great, great on that second tier. Amazing. And he's found a home there and he's amazing there. And that's to me what Cody is. But now you say he's not doing it, but just announced and I just saw it on my phone. He's going to be taking on Jericho's first title defense at the next pay-per-view. So he's going to be closing the show. Yeah, for the first time. Like, a lot of people thought, like, here's the crazy thing. People, and we're going to talk about this. Actually, I want to take a sidebar real quick because I was alerted via Conrad that somebody just posted this message on social media. I'm going to read this to you, Kel. And this is going to be fun because this is how bull- – this is exactly what I talk about with research. It's by a gentleman named Julian Cannon. He says, I hate to be that guy, but wrestling media journalism needs more diversity than ever now that – now, and that means more POC, LBG – LBT, damn, he spelled this wrong. And I've done many media events where the rooms are very diverse. But when it comes to pro wrestling media, that is seriously not the case. I have heard from one of the credentialed correspondents that went to StarCast, told me that there was not one single black journalist correspondent on any of the press lines or doing interviews with the talent, and that is very telling. And to be clear, having a panel that has that representation is not the same as having journalists of LGBTQ and people of color, and I hope that that changes at the next StarCast, because there are good ones out there that never get the opportunity. 
This is a fucking lie. What the hell am I? Like, one, that's my biggest pet peeve in this fucking world. What am I by trade then? What are you? Are we not journalists? Like, well, I, could, I could be an entertaining ass journalist. I don't know what they want from me. Let's, let's be clear. I was credentialed. I was asking questions at the press conference afterwards, the, yes, the scrums. I was, on, was in the front of most of the media. I was there. And you know who was right next to me? You. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I, I saw there. there was a little kid. There were women. Like, I, 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 I don't know people's sexual orientation. It's a little harder to you know, gauge that off of first look. But there might, may have been an LGBTQ member there. Who knows? But let's take this a step further. The dude that stood right behind me was also black and covering the event as a credentialed member of the media. I can't stand when people try to play this. Now, if you want to say, I saw three and there needs to be more, that's one thing. Jason You're not was there, especially StarCast. Yes. StarCast Jason. had even more than AEW. StarCast right. had a, a good amount. So if you want to make the case that we need more people, because like I mentioned this on the panel, like I want to create opportunities for our people to be involved in these events. And I want to show you that you don't have to look a certain way in order to do it. Like you can do this because I've broken down these walls. This is what I do. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not one. And on top, on top of that, again, I hate to pull rank like this, but I am the senior editor of one of the top sports websites and at a company that rakes billions of dollars the zone. I am a senior editor there, and I'm on the front lines of this shit. I don't have a blog. I don't have a, a small website. I don't have a podcast that does very few listeners. I am beyond that. So to suggest that there are no people of color there is just unequivocally, that's false. And I wish people would start, stop spreading that shit. I don't understand what he means by a panel's not enough. Like I don't know. Was he like saying, like, okay, like you guys had wrestling for, with stereotypes, but that's not it. Like, I don't, I don't understand what he thought we did after yeah, I that. Uh, I don't know. But I like I've been covering wrestling. Yes. They, uh, do I want to see more people of color co color covering wrestling? Absolutely. Would I like to see more people from diverse backgrounds covering wrestling? Absolutely. But to say that there's none, not a single one, and make that your tweet and then go on a rant about it, it's fucking wrong. So uh what's your name, homeboy? Uh Julian Cannon? Please do your research, man. Like, <laughs> no one like, research is played out. Like that's the that's the point where I now. People have their takes without looking into it. It's so easy. How do you not see that? It says sporting news and the corner. Yeah. It's on very, the poster. Very clear. Like we are a prominent <laughs> website. We we're not ESPN, but we're one of the top sports websites. So come on, dog. Like, it's don't on do that. the poster. And I'm a black man who's a senior editor of Combat Sports. Like, this is not a, first of all, there's not a whole lot of senior editors in combat sports, period, at too many outlets. But I happen to be a person of color who sits on top of that. And you're about to go to ESPN and handle social media for box. Like, what the fuck? Come on, dog. Be home. Anyway, yeah. that got me heated because Conrad actually sent that to me. And he was like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, I'll wow. address this. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> all right. So, that guy's going to have a tweet here in a second. Um, where were we before we got. <laughs> So there were people that were upset about Jericho winning the title, yes. right? And, and being this, too old to be champion. This blew my mind because th th if that was your thought process, AEW had no way of winning. Because if Adam Page would have won that title, you would have said, being the leader, looking out for their own. All the elite have done is essentially push their talent to the back. Yeah. 
And, and Jericho winning, like, come on, guys. I know you, you know, like, two plus two equals. Jericho is a guy with a recognizable name <laughs> who has been doing great work since his second life as a pro wrestler. Well, maybe third, if you count WCW and ECW before WWE. But he's done this fantastic work in New Japan. And, you know, like, so now he wins the title. He's one of the most recognizable names in all of pro wrestling. He's a heel with the gift of gab, and he's going to be carrying the title into television for a baby face to chase. If you know anything about pro wrestling, the juice is in the chase. It's like people shitting on this. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I, I don't know what the alternative was. Page winning. And then like, like no, outside of that. No, no, no. Come on. Like going to TV with Page, like whatever. But I, I don't know if people wanted like Kenny Omega to be the first champion. No, because they would have shitted on that too. They would have said, "Oh, you guys are just looking out for your own and bearing the new guy." Yeah, then it's just like there, there's it's not a win win. And let's be fair, like Kenny's an I'd probably say the best wrestler in the world still. Uh, he's had less opportunities to show it, but I mean, Omega's Omega, um, it's best wrestler in the world. But it's not like his promo skills are Jericho level. No, Jericho like, is elite. Yeah, like <laughs> if you're talking about talkers, I mean, Cody can talk. Like Sean Spears showed that he can he can work a program, like on the mic. The, you say a lot about WWE. A lot of people can trash that shit. They teach people how to talk. Oh yeah. Oh like, yeah. You you know how to create a program and carry that with with the mic, regardless of what happens in ring. Because if not, you're not cutting into that company. So you look at the Moxleys. Who would have been a great first champion? But now he's injured. And that's not to say that Moxley, who is a badass, but he's kind of like the Stone Cold style babyface, isn't going to be the one to challenge Jericho in the end and take that belt off it. But it's in the chase. It's all in the chase. So you you look at that, and, and Jericho has that mouthpiece too carrying on television. Him losing the belt is hilarious, oh, which wasn't done purposely, but the way they play that is great. And then now he's making merch with with the bubbly. <laughs> and, and, the, and all the random videos where they're just entering the bubbly it's a random song like that shit is funny he was walking backstage when we were going to a press conference just cutting promos yeah. on people yeah it's great Jer i mean come on man like we're reaching the point and it, it probably isn't happening for a lot of people right now because he's still here because what ends up happening is a lot of guys while they're still here we don't give them their their flowers when they can smell them jericho is entering elite status when it comes to goat one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He's been in my top five, my personal top five for a while. And he's, unlike others in other sports like MMA, who sometimes those legends work themselves out of those spots, he's doing nothing but elevating himself. Yeah, so it's it's interesting to me because people, you know, you use like Austin and The Rock. All right, cool, you can use them. But Austin, like if you really think about it, Austin's peak years were biggie level. They were short, they were quick. He got hurt, he was in and he was out. Like, Austin wasn't here for like 30. I mean, granted, there was, you know, stunning Steve Austin and all the other stuff. We're not counting that. We're talking about peak Austin from the time he won King of the Ring to the time he turned heel and then six exited years. the business. About six years, right? Not a long time. That wasn't a great deal of time. And he was injured for like two and a half of those six, but it was right. six total. Injury, like he suffered injuries. He had to deal with them. Yeah. Jericho went from. ECW to the Lionheart and WCW, Cruiserweights, challenging Dean Malenko. And you look at Dean Malenko now, and you're like, God damn, he wrestled Jericho? Yeah, right. Stone Age. Then Jericho shows up, gets the rub by The Rock on WWE. 
He becomes the first unified champion. He carries a ton of programs. I mean, he had excellent match with Shawn Michaels. Then he reinvents himself like four or five different times along the way. The scarf, the hair, the jacket, the new entrances, the teases. Like, I don't... The list of Jericho before the exit. Yes. And the best program the WWE has had in the past five years with him and Kevin Owens and the Festival of Friendship, which you were at live. Yes, yes. Like, that that payoff and everything, incredible. Like, And then, then you go from that to saying, you know what? I'm going to wrestle Kenny Omega in New Japan. <laughs> yeah. What? Yep. Like, like Jericho's career is GOAT level. Like, I don't care what you guys try to ch- try to discredit him, because when he was in ECW and WCW, the motherfucker could go. Yep. And then he came to WWE, and he could still go. Now he's approaching 50, and he still has good matches. There are very few people, because, like, Hulk Hogan got old, and that was it. Like, that, like he just wrestled the same match. Jericho's yeah. out here just still doing crazy shit. He had a cold breaker on Adam Page doing a moves like a, a a shooting star press off the apron. Old people don't have timing like that, guys. <laughs> Jericho, Jericho is special. Jericho was, saved Adam Cole on a couple of those spots. Yeah. The moonsault spot where Adam oh, Cole yeah. missed that That's shit super. by like three feet, and Jericho moved over subtly and caught him with one arm. Like Jericho saves a couple of those spots. Yes. Yeah, so, so anybody poo-pooing on Jericho, you're stupid. And saying that Adam Page should have been cha- champion is even dumber. This no, is the right decision. Yeah, and I like the way it's going. Like you can't can't be mad at that. Um, and Jericho, it is what he is now. But for his yeah. age, for the longevity, this is he's reaching just uncharted territory for maintaining yeah. greatness. Like he's maintained yeah. greatness for almost twenty five years. 95, and I'm counting ECW into WCW. I'm not even counting like New Japan or like All Japan, I think. Yeah. Was there. yeah. Like, I'm not counting all that shit, which people said he was amazing. I'm not, not even saying go back that far. 95, ECW into WCW and all that great cruiserweight stuff all the way through 25 years. It's about to be Unbelievable. 2020. Unbelievable. Unprecedented. I mean, you gotta be, I mean, him, Ric Flair, in terms of levels of, sustainability yeah i mean we're, we're talking about a guy not only that like he left wcw at the right time came to wwe ended up being champion you know he had that program with cm punk he had the program with with Shawn michaels program with edge like there were so many things that he did but then you went and brought like you took your clout and took it to new japan and brought a whole new audience yeah. with you then you said you know what fuck it i'm gonna help cody and them create a new company dude this guy is otherworldly, man. Y'all don't y'all don't recognize the gift of Jericho. Yeah, the man is amazing until it's gone. And he, I mean, people say what he want. He left it every time he left the WWE for periods of time. It was always on a good note. I, I don't think this time is any different. This guy would be a first ballot Hall of Famer and whatever fucking mythical yeah. Hall of Fame you create, WWE included. And he he's just amazing. Let alone he sung his you know he's the lead singer of a band. And his new entrance theme is probably the best entrance theme in the whole company. And he sings the shit himself. That, man, dude, the man is awesome. <laughs> like, is I, I suggest to a lot of people, he's, he's a good writer, too. Like, his books are great. I've read the Jericho books, and I'm like, yo, this man is special. This guy's just talented. He just does he's, everything. He's yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's incredible. So let's, um, let's talk about the other things, because we got so much other stuff to talk shit, about. Yeah, so, uh, okay, that was what we were at, but there was other good shows as well. So we had New Japan Pro Wrestling, Royal Quest. Um, the weakest show of the weekend. 
Yeah, but I really like the main event. Is that the main event was fantastic. Like it, Suzuki, it, it made me miss not having him in G one. Yeah. So, but him Okada delivered. That shit was great. I mean, yeah, we talk about Kenny Omega being the best, but it might be Kazuchika Okada. Like, oh yeah, people forgot, the- right? Like. He hit G1, and he was like, hold on, hold on. Let me remind you. Because he went through that weird, like, uh, blonde hair phase. Yeah, when, when, when he wore the, uh, the the pants, and he had the balloons and shit. Yeah, like, yeah, it was that like, shit, that shit it was, was a- No, yeah, that was just him coasting for a second. And then he came back. He was like, no, this is Rainmaker. Y'all must have forgot. Yeah, like, he, that was the highlight of the Royal Quest card. Like, yeah. I watched that card, and I was like, this this match is, is great. Um, Him and Suzuki delivered. Suzuki, another guy, old as shit, but continues to be a savage. How old is Suzuki? I can't even tell. Uh, this one's got to be like 60. He, well, he might, I think he's a little less than that. He might be in his mid-50s. I'd, I'd have to look it up. Yo. Um, <laughs> but he's unbelievable. But yeah, the, rest of the, car, the rest of the car was really shaky. And the match that I looked forward to the mo- most ended up being the match I really disliked for one particular reason. And that was the Kenta Ishii match. Um, that match on the car, I was like, all right, I can't wait for this match. Because as you guys know, I'm a huge Ishii mark. There was a spot where they traded German suplexes, mm-hmm. and Kenta clearly got concussed. Clearly. He was done. And they, they wrestled for like another 15 minutes, missing spots. They, like, it was just a travesty after that. I have no idea why they didn't say to go home after that. Like a match, they could have revisited that match at another time. And they still had Kenta go over. Yeah, had to have I, Kenta go over, though. I don't know. It was like, his Bullet Club debut. Like... Yeah, he was going like, to go over. I understand what you say. He might have been concussed. It definitely changed a little concussed. bit after that. Um, and, yeah, it changed and it went too long in general. Yeah, like, you, like man, when you, like if you look at Kenta's eyes after he takes that German suplex and how he's struggling to get up. And, again, it's Ishii, so he's not laying it on soft. He's still laying on thick. So at sooner or later, somebody's got to be like, yo, take this shit home because he ain't, he ain't here right now. He's not all here. And you're risking a man's health. Yeah. So I was really disappointed in how that match turned out. A guy who was often injured anyway. Yeah, so it started off on fire. I was like, I'm in it. And then I saw that German suplex. I was like, oh, shit. They're going to end this match quick. And it just kept going. And I was like, ugh. Then you had, like, the Gorilla's Destiny match, which was cool. But, you know, whatever. What was the other match in the card? Um, Osprey and Eagles in the tag team was actually kind of fun. Yeah, I was about to say Osprey, but they kind of gave Osprey the night off. Yeah. (laughs) For all purposes. What was the the co-main event? I can't um, tell you right now. Oh, uh, Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr. That was oh, good. yeah, yeah. Which they always kind of do. It was cool. Yeah, like this wasn't a bad card, but I thought it was the worst card of the weekend. Yeah, because... it was just a, such a good weekend. That That's, that's another problem. Like, it's just such a good weekend. Um, and like you were about to touch on, I'm sure, NXT UK over-delivered. Man, it was look. the best card of the weekend. Oh, but that's also comes with you know five matches, the NXT model. Yeah. So my, here, here's my dilemma with the NXT because immediately I want to say it was the best card of the weekend because I thought Bate versus uh, Walter was really good. I think a lot of people are overvaluing it. Yeah. I thought it was people good. People were I saying it, five star. Yeah. No, it's it, too fucking long. Yeah, it's not Bate versus Dunn, which no. was five star in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to argue with it. I disagree. I think it was four or three quarters. But who cares? It was yeah, splitting hairs. Splitting I thought it was a fantastic hairs, yeah. match. Mm-hmm. This, on the other hand, was a match that was 40 minutes, and it was really long. 
And it was 40 minutes of Walter really beating the shit out of Tyler Bate. <laughs> Which was great. I mean, that's what big men are supposed to do with little guys. I yeah. That. But it, it just felt like at a certain point, you're like, holy shit, they're still going? Like, it was 40 minutes of Tyler Bate just getting the shit beat out of him. And I think they could have shaved, like, 15 minutes here and there. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was a good match. I, I'm not saying it was bad. I just thought people were, you know, five stars. No. That triple threat tag team match, though? Look. Flash Morgan Webster has, has been whatever in NXT UK. Mark Andrews, we know that guy can go. Yeah, I love Flash uh, Gordon Webster's gimmick, though. Yeah, like always like the gimmick. We like, but this crowd was so hot for those two, and there were so many perilous spots where you thought they were going to take the pinfall when Gallus like stepped in, or uh, I mean, there were just so many fantastic spots in this match, and then the crowd got what they wanted. Yep. And I, I just thought this match was unbelievably good. Grizzly Young like, Veterans look really good. Um, I mean, the Grizzly this. Young Veterans, like, truth be told, like, there are a lot of people just sleeping on them. Because these guys are amazing. Yeah, because I don't like the characters. But damn, they can go. Like, yeah, when they opened them up in ring, it was like, yo, these two are really good together. Like, they, one of them looks like Red Titus, which is kind of <laughs> weird to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in terms, of, like, the quality of the match, um, there was, like, a... There was, uh, we had two slingshot Canadian destroyers this weekend. We had one that uh, Phoenix used on, I think, Matt Jackson underneath the ladder in the ladder match. Yep. And there was a slingshot uh, one in this match when uh, the Grizzly Young – who was it? I can't remember who did it. The one with the wild hair. Was it? I think so. I just know Flash Morgan Webster got slung like, – they, they went for a, like a – some kind of slingshot like into a cutter and it turned to a fucking Canadian destroyer and I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and like it was just this and, was just a really good match. And the crowd was on every second of it. The it, crowd it helped so much. The crowd is so dope in the UK. And I, I get the argument that Gallish maybe shouldn't have even been in that match, but I think they put a little element of, oh, they're just gonna sneak and get the win. Because like G- Gallus was like out like half the match. They so just disappear and they come back. There was, like, there was a spot where everybody was down. They just rose up yeah. and, like from outside of the ring. And I thought it was cool. They were booked like, like AOP. Like if, there was like a triple threat <laughs> in NXT back in the day. Uh, it had to be like Revival versus someone versus AOP. And, oh, it was Revival, AOP, and um, the Mighty Don't Kneel. Oh, I was, yeah, 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 okay. And yeah. AOP did nothing but what Gallus did the whole time. But it yeah. has that little bit of a brute factor to it. Yeah, so I like that was my that was it wasn't my match of the weekend. I still think the Bucks and uh and uh, uh, uh Pentagon and Phoenix yeah, had the match of the weekend. But I thought this was dude, this was excellent. Um, the other the women's match kind of stunk. Um, I think there was like a missed like a senton that just kind of went wrong. The Joe Coffee Dave Master fight was meh. like yeah, it was for like Blood Feud. It didn't have like that. I just hate the shitty finish. Like, oh, you're getting ready to stand up. I'm going to kick this thing out from under you, and you're going to fall, and now we're going to count you out. That was dumb. That was dumb. I also don't get why these fans are really, like, fan, like they really get behind Noam Dar, but whatever. In <laughs> the match with Travis Banks. They love Noam Dar. They really do. Um, <laughs> and Cesaro showing up. It's like, it, we're getting to this point with Cesaro where it's just like, dude, just send him somewhere else. Because if he continues to have these matches in, like, NXT UK, NXT, like, Maybe he'll pop up on 205 Live and beat the shit out of somebody. Come on, man. Y'all just wasting him in the, in the main roster. For yeah. real. But, I mean, he's on – I don't want to call him his retirement tour because he can still go – I mean, obviously, there's no sh- signs of slowing down. But you can tell, like, okay, he's getting paid well. He has all those years in the indies with his body beat up. He's like, okay, like, on the main roster, 
he'll do the King of the Rings and make it good and do the weekly television, have good matches with the new guys. He's not really stressing it, but he comes to these places too and shows out. He's not full Cassius Ono, but it's like half Cassius Ono. In which Cassius Ono wrestles tonight on NXT UK, um, or it was last night on NXT UK. I would love for sometime soon those two to reunite for a tag team match. Sure. Why not? They ain't doing shit else. And they're making guest appearances. Like sure. them versus Undisputed Era would be so cool on a yeah. just a random weekly live NXT. Yeah, I mean, this is stuff you gotta do. You have this full ass roster. So that's wrestling. Whew, that was a lot. Yeah, that was a ton, man. Um, but like I said, good weekend. Uh, WWE had a couple things. I guess we're not over with wrestling. Um, but those are quick to run through. Two good shows this week. Raw and SmackDown were both really good. Yeah. Uh, by by their measures, at least. Both very good. Bailey heel turn. Oh, God damn. You're right. Um, Woo! It's been a long time coming. And it felt good. And I thought they were going to mess it up on Tuesday. And they didn't. No. Just, oh, it's great. See... There are things that work, and Bailey turning heel is one of those things that, God, when you saw it, you were like, are they? Are they? Are they going to do it? And they did it. And then when it, when it went to Tuesday, I thought it was weird because you had Charlotte in there, and then Sasha and Bailey jumped her, and the crowd seemed just as confused as most people were. But I'm like, I like this gray area shit. Yeah. I like this, like, okay, we know Sasha, like, we know Becky's like the baby face, but, you know, Charlotte and Bailey are supposed to now be two heels, but Bailey's still playing the baby face role? I'm with this. Bailey could be my Kurt Angle. I'm for that. You could be that healed and be like, you know, I, I want to hug. and Like, I'm with that. Like, I kind of would like to, to do the EO Shirai turn, but it might be too much for Bailey. Yeah. So, so, you know, keep the gimmick. But this is great. I the like four- Sasha being the influencer of evil. Because yeah. it keeps Bailey not, like, not over the top heel. Like you said, like, there's still some goodness in there, and you just feel like Sasha's manipulating her to be yeah. evil. So, no, it's played out well. I, I like that heel turn. Um, the four horsewomen on top, a lot of people are complaining about. Like, oh, we were talking about, you know, giving women opportunities and all this stuff. But now it's the same four on top. To me, it's going to be the same four on top. Uh, you, you can mix in Asuka when she should be, um, when she's not in a tag team. Uh, same thing with Kairi Sane. She should be in there, which hopefully... Those two get back to prominence. Io Shirai when she gets up there. You know, a couple of these women, Bianca Belair, she gets called up. But uh, it's still like Ember Moon. Like, these are just in and out. They've done a really good job with Alexa Bliss floating her in and out of these to give you little breaks. But it's always going to revolve around these four women. Yeah, I mean, they they kind of were responsible for doing this in the first place. So it's like, I'm not mad at this at all. And we haven't really seen a moment where all four of them were at the top of the program. We've always had, like, three. Yeah. Like, Bailey was always the odd woman out. Yeah, she was the odd woman out. So Or Becky was for a while, too, though. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, now that we have all four, and they're all playing prominent roles, Sasha's back to being a heel, where she should be, and we have the Bailey heel turn because the character was growing stale, and we've got Charlotte doing Charlotte shit, and Becky's become the man. I'm all for this. Y'all don't know what you're complaining about. Listen, as much as I love Asuka, I'm fine. I'm fine with these four. Yeah. I just like to see Asuka enter the scene. Like I would like to Asuka to enter the title scene with the tag team championships. If you're going to have her be a tag team. Yeah. How about but, you just have like six. You They have the opportunity to have the six most talented women be featured prominently because you have a million fucking belts. 
Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> so, like, they should be, they all have a title picture to be in. And, you know, I like Nikki Cross getting her, her shine. Alexa Bliss, I feel like Vince has a hard on for, and she always has to be around some type of title. But then put, you know, Kari Sane and Io Shirai in there. I feel like, uh, or excuse me, and Kari Sane and Asuka. I feel like once Paige had her second surgery, they cooled on them. They don't need a mouthpiece. Just let no. them go. Um, so we'll see how that goes. King of the Ring tournament has been pretty cool, which is good. And Rowan admits that he attacked Roman Reigns and DB is a face again. This this angle is just going completely left and it's stupid. Yeah, if DB's a face, I don't understand. Maybe they just want to give Rowan some love. This is the dead time, right? So this is where we saw um, Jinder Mahal become a champion. This is where this is where they just try to give someone a bone. Uh, that one time, which they kind of blew, when they had uh, the Wyatt family feuding, kind of all against each other, and Luke Harper should have became champion. Yeah, that well, grew during this. So I mean, I'm not mad at it. Where it gets a little weird is that you're doing like you you work this angle for weeks yeah. and weeks, and then you had Rowan do it. Like you had the, the two Rowans. Like, I, what the fuck were they trying to do? It, you know what it felt like? WCW booking. <laughs> That's fair. Like, I didn't feel like they really knew how they were going to end this. And they were just like, ah, fuck it. And Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan, I don't feel like they had a long enough run for Rowan to turn on Bryan. That's kind of weird to me. I feel like, like they've kind of run their course. I, I don't. Like, like Rowan showed up to help Daniel Bryan when he was a champ. That was at, around Royal Rumble. This thing has lasted, what, eight months? Going on nine months? Yeah. And they disappeared for a lot of the time. Like, they were tag champs. They lost that quick. Like, it, this makes no sense, I guess is what I'm saying. It's like, why did this happen? I need some rationale behind this because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan has been a really good heel, and you're going to turn a baby face. Who is he dealing with? I don't, I don't understand this. Don't Maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I just don't see it right now. Um, and then Bray Wyatt, he's the best character in pro wrestling. And yeah, as long as, they, as long as they protect this character and not overexpose him. Well, they, he hasn't been in a match since. So oh, yeah. And the Firefly Funhouse is so perfect for keeping him off of TV. Yeah. Because he can just cut these for two months. I don't care if he ever wrestles. The feeding oh, yeah. Vince McMahon dollars yep. was great. He's like, look what I made. And then like he's just feeding Vince money to shut him up. Like, it's so good. And then we'll see. It seems like they're thrusting him into the title picture at Hell in a Cell. But that doesn't mean he stuff can't change or that, you know, I, I don't know. Like, what's the point of Fiend and Hell in a Cell? Like, he just has to ra run rant shot through someone. So does yeah, he do that against a champion? I, I'm not sure. Or I maybe guess. they want to make him a legend. Like, Hell in a Cell is now his thing. Like, it was Undertaker's thing. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. Just don't race him into the title picture. Like, just. Well, they're doing it. They they shouldn't. They really shouldn't. Because once you put the title on him, it's all downhill. Yeah, because it's a race against the clock until he loses it. Yeah, because it's like so. Instead, I think keeping the, the him fresh, you know, him popping up periodically, not at every pay per view, um, and showing up, decimating somebody. Eventually, you have a tough match. And I mean, now the more you like you had said it before, like dog, get the Undertaker out of there with Bray Wyatt. Yeah, he has like, to just slide right into that lane. Yeah, like he what he should do, which I mean, this is complete fantasy booking. 
He should get back all those WrestleMania losses, Undertaker and John Cena specifically. Oh, those would be great. You yeah. know, like, like, like go on a revenge tour of sorts. And they teased that kind of. He was like, and why he went after Finn and all that stuff. He was like, you know, the people who did me wrong. And like with the Fiend thing. So, yeah, I don't know why they've kind of turned into this Hell in a Cell thing against the champion. I'm okay with him just going and crushing legends, which we'll see Monday Night Raw. Hopefully he crushes Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, Yeah, I, I, I like that aspect of it. But we'll see. So far, so good. So, fingers crossed. We'll, we'll see how they treat him moving forward. Uh, we've been talking for entirely too long. We're not even going to take a break this week. Coasting straight through it. Um... Your company, DAZN, is putting together a YouTuber fight. Mm-hmm. So it's K... Oh, God. KSI is this kid's name? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus some white dude. Logan Paul, the Logan guy... Logan Paul. There you go. Who Ooh. may notoriously be known as the guy who uh, filmed somebody that committed suicide in the suicide forest. I was about and... to say, yeah, the Asian forest that yeah, he was in. That was him. Yeah, I still don't understand. I never knew there was a suicide forest, to be tr- to be honest, no. before him. Now you know. Now I know. Uh, so Logan Paul versus KSI. A rematch. I guess the first one did a ton of numbers on YouTube. Now, no headgear is what they're promoting. No headgear, Dre. It's, it's a, a pro, pro fight. fight. No headgear. Yep. Uh, like It's going to make it so much more dangerous. Everything is pro wrestling. This shit's crazy. Um, I don't know what changes. I... <sighs> Does this get views? Like I don't know. You're you're more of a numbers guy. Like, yes. This gets subscriptions. You think? Like. Yeah. So, is it a stupid fight? Absolutely, it's a stupid fucking fight. Um, but it's you know, it's not a professional boxer against an amateur. It's like two guys who can't fight. And they're gonna put them in boxing gloves and let these guys fight. They're gonna train. They're gonna do all these things. They did 16 million views of their pay per view uh, worldwide on YouTube. So for us, the game is subscribe to watch the fight because it's a demographic that we need to target, Uh, which is, you know, and then the hope is, I don't know if I'm giving away a secret because I don't think it's a big secret, is they'd subscribe to watch this fight and then forget to cancel. That's it. I mean, really, it's really that simple. It's like you subscribe to something, then like a month later, you're like, oh, shit. You start looking at your bill and like, man, I've had the zone for like a year. Yeah, you have. Thanks. Like that's. Ideally, what the plan would be, I mean, this, there's going to be, and I don't think, yeah, I don't think I'm barred from saying this. There are actually going to be fights on this card, like pro fights with decent fighters. Can't give away anybody's name yet because they're not all finalized. But That's a good push, I guess, for them. Like, it's the Bellator model. Yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a jo- is it a joke fight? Yeah, if you're like a true boxing fan, of course it is. It's at Staples Center. This shit's going to sell out. It's going to be ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's a circus show. It's an absolute circus show. I, look, is look. it that much different than Mayweather McGregor then? Because that's been the conversation on Twitter. It's yeah. People are hypocritical because they trash Mayweather McGregor, but they're okay with the zone putting on this fight. But you just mentioned, like, it's two, for all purposes, amateur guys versus each other instead of the greatest fighter of this generation versus someone who's never stepped in a boxing ring. Yeah, and that's where I think the difference is. I think, you know, the Mayweather-McGregor fight, it shouldn't have happened. But it did, and it made a lot of money. And so there you have it. Like it, it, the, McGregor was not qualified to fight Mayweather, and it showed in that fight. Even though people were like, he won rounds. No, he didn't. We knew it was happening. <laughs> but like, this is two guys, like, nobody's really at risk here. 
Like these two guys that don't really know. Like watch the first fight, guys, before you start commenting. This is not. This is like no. Nah, this is like that show. Um, Celebrity Deathmatch, but not Clay. No, no, no. Uh, bully Beatdown. No, not Bully <laughs> Beatdown. It was. Uh, I'm going way back. I'm talking about the show where the white boy beat up Sticky Fingers. It was a celebrity <laughs> box. Yeah. <laughs> Sticky Fingers took an ass whooping. Yeah, you ain't seen this. No, Sticky Fingers got beat up in a boxing this. match. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you have to see it. But it, it's it's that. It's not like it's not to be taken all that seriously. But these. KSI and Logan Paul have this fan base. It's a huge fan base. So I get why we're doing the fight. It wasn't my idea. I just understand why we're doing it. Um, it happens to be the same night as Full Gear. So I got some decisions to make, um, which is the next AEW pay-per-view. Same fucking night. Uh, and I'm not excited about that at all. But, yeah, alas, here we are. And, and I'll, I'll put it to you guys like this. That fight's going to draw bigger than any of our other fights, with the exception of a Canelo fight. And maybe the Joshua Reeves rematch. That fight, people are going to watch that dumb shit. And they're not going to be boxer fans. Well, I'm going to watch it, but I already have this on, so. Yeah, but there's going to be people subscribed because they just want to see that match. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's going to be interesting. Um, what else did we miss? Lomachenko fought last weekend? Yeah. Beat <laughs> yeah, um, and handle business. So- to me, he still looks a little bit, a little bit different at 135. Um, maybe the guys small. just have more length yeah like maybe it takes a little longer to solve the puzzle he did a great job working the body this past fight though and being able to slip in and, and using the body to open up the headshots and the hooks and but still he's just not taking people out of there no, I mean like, it's, it's, it's a difference that five pounds has made a difference look Vasily Lomachenko is small small 35 People that are upset that he's not knocking people out, I guess you were really pissed off when Floyd Mayweather wasn't knocking people out. So it's, it's, I, I just I can't use that as the barometer of how good somebody is if he's knocking everybody out or not. It's not necessarily the case. Lomachenko's just really good, and he does things other people can't do. Um, but he's a little undersized, and people calling him for him to go to 140 and maybe meet Terrence Crawford in a 140? No. No. Oh. Lomachenko's too small, guys. He's just too small. 35, I'm, I'm wondering if 35 might be a little rough with Tank moving up to 35 and people talking about that type of matchup. Does he give Tank that added advantage that he needed? Yeah, I mean, I think he does. You know, Tank not draining himself to get to 30, fighting at 35, it becomes a very interesting fight. I, there's a lot of people like, nah, Lomachenko will watch him. I don't know, guys. At, like 35, at 35, it changes. Like, yeah, like, it gives Tank the added advantage that he didn't have at 130. Yeah, like, I still think Lomachenko will win. I'm not saying that. I am saying that there's a present element of danger with Gervonta's power. And it's one of those cases where you guys want to see this fight now, but you don't. You really don't. You want to see this fight in two years. Because that's when Gervonta's really hitting his stride. He's still a little rough around the edges. And he hasn't really fought anybody yet. I want to see the Farmer fight. At 135, I don't think Farmer fights him out. I, I don't know. I, I don't know either, but they got to figure this shit out because there's a lot of talent here between 30 and, and 35. Yeah, is a farmer like a little small? Uh, yeah. You're like Tank, like everybody looks small when you compare him to Tank because Tank is like he's a little tank. He's filled out, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, big. he's not going to last in this weight class much longer. I'm a little worried because the more he moves up, the more he'll be, you know, he's got short arms, short, stocky body. He'll run into problems if he goes up to 140. Maybe. Yeah. May grow into him and become a better boxer, but. The fight with Lomachenko is the fight to make. It's just not the fight to make right now. I need Tank to get more seasoning. Yeah. I need Farmer. More- I, that trash talk is just, it's money on the table. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I, I do think we'll eventually see Lomachenko and Javante at some point. Um, and but, then, I, and I think it's but a hell of a fight. There's a guy like Devin Haney now, though, who's saying, I want that fight. I yeah, want Lomachenko. And listen, it seems like an easier fight to make, right? Like, Yeah, but no. So, so here's the problem with Devin Haney. And this is a guy who's on our roster. He fights next week in New York. Mm-hmm. Devin's still relative. He's untested. He's 21. Like Devin, 20? He's, yeah, he's 20. Kid, <laughs> man. Yeah, we saw him turn pro out of Mayweather's gym at like 17. I, I believe that Haney's going to be one of the best guys in the sport. I believe so, too. I, I like I, I watched I've watched this guy since his first fight. I've been watching him. I, you know, we just did a shoot with him last week ahead of his fight next week. I believe that Devin Haney is going to be one of the best. But if you move him up the ladder too fast, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, Twenty. His frame is is the only problem because I think he outgrows a lot of the people, at least in his age bracket, of the fights I would like to see. You know, five years down the line, um, it's not like we saw you know Crawford. Uh, Spence, all these guys, and be like, okay, they're kind of going to be around the same weight. We're going to see these fights. Haney has a frame where he might outgrow all of them. He probably, well, between him and Teofimo Lopez, those are two guys who probably be all the way up at 47. Yeah, which is problematic because I, I would love, you know, to four or five years see Devin Haney versus Shakur Stevenson. Yeah, like, dude, the, but I guess the bottom line is the future of boxing is pretty fucking bright. Oh, incredibly bright. Yeah, I always so forget got- about Teofimo. Yeah, I mean, you got Tio family. You still got Ryan Garcia who fights next week. I'll be at that fight. Uh, mm-hmm. He'll be on the undercard of Munguia. Um, you have Tio Fimo, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, uh, Javante Davis. Um, shit, there's, there's a bunch of guys. Yeah, Shakur Stevenson. There's um, even more. Um, God damn. Those um, weight classes are stacked right now. Like 130, yeah, Virgil, 135. Virgil Ortiz. Like, dude, they're loaded. They're, they are really loaded with some up-and-comers. He's the golden People boy are, kid. That's Virgil Ortiz. Okay, okay. Cool, cool, cool. With dynamite. I yeah, I was about to say, I knew they had the kid. Um, yeah, man, it's just it's crazy. Loaded, man. It's, it's Boxing is, the future is pretty damn bright. But back to Lomachenko, 35, he looks small. Um, I'm curious what he does from here. I know he's going to watch very closely when T.O. Famo takes on uh, uh, Richard Kami. That should be the next fight, probably early 2020. Um, but yeah, boxing, I mean, boxing is a good spot. Kovalev, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about Kovalev and Yardy. You know, I mean, Yard, they had a, their fight. I mean, boxing, there's, there's a lot of shit happening. Yeah, I mean, Kovalev pulled through on that shit. Yeah. It looked a little rough in the middle. Oh, yeah. Well, he doesn't like getting into the body. That's yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, he has a little bit short, of Cormier in him. His best bet is to fight Canelo. Like, people will talk about maybe you shouldn't know. Get no. the bag, fight Take Canelo. Take the money now, yeah. Yeah. Don't fight Bivol. Don't fight those guys. No. Don't. Don't. You're not going to get paid a lot of money to get beat up. Yep. Get the check. Even on a fast turnaround, just get the check. Yeah, so hopefully he takes that advice because, man, he, he like, again, it was a point in this fight where, like, shit, you might not get to that. Like, oh, he's in here. He's going to fuck up the bag. Yep. And he, he righted the ship. So uh, hopefully he realizes that, goes for the money. Shit, I don't know. There's still a huge... I don't want to say there's a huge size difference because Canelo obviously is a big dude, but he's coming up a long ways from where he started to a place where Kovalev is comfortable. Like yeah. there, there has to be some type of advantage. Like there's no one Kovalev size that is hit. Uh, you know, just for any you look at Triple G and how that went. And Triple G's damn near Canelo size. Like Canelo's never been hit by someone Kovalev size. 
This is a guy yeah. who's still the crusher. Like, you never know what the hell cap. I mean, you don't. There is a sense of danger, but if Canelo goes to the body, the fight's a wrap. Like, I know Canelo kind of looked at it and was like, well, if I could take Triple G's punch, I'd probably deal with Kovalev. And he's probably right. Canelo's got a hell of a chin. So Yeah, that's great. Kovalev's a big-ass dude. Um, let's talk about MMA before we get out of here. And before we talk about some of the the key things that have happened this week, uh, we're going to talk about some of the buffoonery that's happened this week. And none more than BJ Penn getting knocked out by a drunk chubby guy outside of a bar in Hawaii and then coming back to somehow get this guy in a full mount and pummeling him on the floor. Uh, look, man. This guy's CT. a pariah. Like, he, he's walking CT. Yeah, like, I'm glad that Dana White said today he's not going to fight, but it shouldn't have taken this long. Yeah. Like, BJ's lost, like, a million fights in a row, and I don't even know if I'm exaggerating anymore. It feels like a million. Like, I feel I can't remember the last, what was it, Matt Hughes? Matt Hughes, I, I think we established on our last show, like, 2012, 2013. No, that, was, that was almost a decade ago. Yeah. Stop giving this fucking guy fights. Like, he, he can't win a fight, and then he has to go outside and get in the street fight. He still gets knocked out. No reason he should be fighting anymore. BJ Penn is ridiculous. Like, I, I, I've heard horror stories about him in Hawaii and the type of person he is, and as he gets older, it's not going to get any better. Just keep him out of the octagon. Take it away. Yeah, I mean, that's you have to save him from himself at this point. Absolutely. And it, it's plain to see. Like, he, he can't be trusted to do it by himself. He won't quit. He'll bounce from camp to camp to camp. He'll do whatever he can to continue fighting. And now yeah. at this point, like, no, can't can't let it happen, man. It has it has to be done um, for him. We just, it's ridiculous. Bar fights in the street? Like really? <laughs> this is this is where we're at. Yeah, this I, is where we're at. Incredible, man! Incredible. So yeah, BJ has to be stopped from himself. And then we see uh, Chris Iborg signing what is said to be the richest contract ever for a female fighter in MMA to go over to Bellator and uh, compete in that 145 pound division. I think it's a great move for her. Great move for Scott Coger. Uh, great move in turn for DeZone. Cyborg's a draw. Yeah. Um, I highly doubt this is the biggest contract a woman's ever received. I don't. I, I mean, mean I, there, I, there's I, Ronda I, Rousey. So I mean, maybe the length of it. Well, see, there's the dilemma is like we don't even know what Ronda's contract was. We know what her purses were. Yeah. But we don't know what her contract is. So I don't know what Cyborg's contract is with the details. I'm sure I'm gonna. Find out soon. And look, it happened. I'm not going to say it happened really quick. I know Coker was working on it, but I didn't find out until like 20 minutes before we announced it. So I have no idea what the details behind this, this was, but. Keep look, you man, in the dark. Is, yeah, they kept me in the dark. So <laughs> I figured, like, this is the right place for her. Um, she could fight Julia Budd, who hasn't lost in a long ass time. And there's a lot of 45ers there that she could fight in Bellator. She did not need to be in the UFC anymore. It was clear that they didn't value her at all. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, Dana said as much, right? And she has options. And she exercised that. And you can never knock someone for doing so. Nah, not at all, man. So, she did what she had to do. Yeah, and you know what? Sure. It's not like the UFC ever made a true effort to put an abundance of high-level fighters in her weight class around her. Nah, they didn't even try. I mean, look, the UFC is about brand over a fighter. They are, they're about their personal brand over the fire. So they were never, like, the, the, 
a person with the value that Cyborg has is better fighting in Bellator because she can get sponsorship, which would be great for her. And she's a draw on her own. Like, if the UFC doesn't push Cyborg, she still draws when she fights. So she comes to Bellator and, hey, she can still draw there too. She has she, – there should be a value of self with Chris Cyborg where she can go anywhere and fight. So good for her, the UFC, whatever. It just wasn't going to work out. No, I, I completely agree. So good move for her. Good move for Bellator. We'll, we'll see when she debuts. It, it can't be bad. So – that, that's the biggest thing. It's like, you know what? It's, it's not a bad move. We get it. Go go out there and get your money. And now she gets sponsorships again. Yeah. Which she So she's getting money from a lot of places. So I, I always like this move. Exercise your options if you have them. Um, the UFC, meanwhile, had a card in China, and we see a new strawweight champion. Yeah, Weili Zhang absolutely railroaded Jessica Andrade. Yeah, and Andrade had a horrible game plan, which just included continuing to stick her nose Right in Zhang's chest as she was getting kneed and elbowed repeatedly. Look, I don't even know if we talked. No, we didn't because we never showed last week. From the beginning, I knew this was a bad fight. This was a catch fight. It was a trap because it was like there's no way you're the champion. You travel to a rising star's home country. Because even if you win, nobody's going to see the fucking fight. Because it was goddamn like 9 in the morning in, in the States. But then on top of that, you're facing a dangerous opponent. It's not like you're going there in a gimme fight. You're facing a dangerous opponent. And then you went in there and got slaughtered in like what forty two seconds? Yep. Come on, man. this is this is one of those situations where they did Andrade absolutely no favors, but they built a star in Willie Zhang. And now, you know, Dana's like, oh, we're getting all these phone calls, and, I, and this is what troubles me about the UFC: we're getting these phone calls. Shouldn't it be Willie Zhang's management fielding these phone calls? Because the UFC ain't gonna do the right thing. Yeah. Not. I mean, they haven't proven that they will do the right thing. <laughs> Right, no. like there's there's no tangible evidence that shows that they know how to build a star from the ground up. They're clueless, man. They are absolutely clueless. But good for Weili Zhang, new champion. Yeah, uh, and it was great stats on like she was on she was like the first MMA fighter on their local news out there, which has crazy viewership. She was on all these uh, their equivalent of Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff. She was like the number one trending topic. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, so, and I think she's, she's that's like her twentieth win in a row. So there's that. <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting watching her run this division. Uh, I guess you're going to have to eventually go with the Suarez fight, but I don't know if that'll be next. I'm interested in seeing where they go with this. That should be next, but I don't know if it will be. I think they might stick Rose back in the picture. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, I I can see it, but I I think Tatiana has earned it. I thought Tatiana was going to be the champion anyway. Um, you know, it just delays that. To me, it delays the inevitability. Even though she looked a little shaky in her last fight. Yeah. On, on I, the I, feet. But if it goes to the ground, it's over. I think the rationale here actually is one that makes sense. Tatiana Suarez has been moving pretty fast. She's been really good. But then in her last fight, she looked a little shaky. So somebody like Rose Namajunas, who has been champion, can give Whaley Zhang a little bit more credibility in a primetime slot. So if you do that fight in a primetime slot and Zhang wins... Then you really made a start because now American audiences have seen her too. Meanwhile, with Suarez, if it's dicey, I you know I don't know. Maybe you do. Uh, see, it's tough because you don't want to necessarily put her up against Jessica Andrade because what if Andrade wins and she got destroyed by Willie Zane? That messes up everything. True. So you kind of don't want to risk it. But then I feel like I feel like Suarez needs another fight. 
but maybe not. Yeah, because you don't. I, I think she beats anyone. So yeah, you can give her another fight, but who do you who do you give her? Like, That's what I said in draws, but I, again, it's it's a risky proposition in the event that she wins. Then Andrade has back to back losses. Yeah, it gets gets dicey at that point. Like I don't know. They it's a good division. So at least you say that. Absolutely, it's a good division. So they have options. They they've had worse uh, to say about them. Uh, and then last thing to talk about this weekend, we'll give our predictions. Uh, UFC two forty two in uh, Abu Dhabi. Make sure I get that right. Yes. Um, it starts at some god-awful time. Like 8 a.m. on the West Coast or something crazy. No, but, it's not that early. It's, it's, it's still like a... Uh, really? 2 p.m. Yeah, yeah. It's they've. It starts at like 8 a.m. and out there. So it's, No, it's, this thing says 7... The main card starts at 11 a.m. our time. Is it 11? Yeah, so the prelims start at 9 a.m. No, oh, that don't sound right. You sure? I'm looking at it on my phone. Saturday, what? September 7th, 9 a.m. FX. Thanks. You're right. Yeah, dumb early. So 9 a.m. Um, only three matches on the prelim card. And we have uh, Yoan Calderwater versus Andrea Lee headlining it. Which oh should God. be a good fight. <laughs> I'm bugging because I'm, I'm like sitting here thinking this fight was going to be in the afternoon. Oh, fuck. <laughs> no, not a.m. I yeah, congrats on waking up super early. Uh, I'm taking out the wife for her birthday on Friday night. So the, the fact that I you know, have to set my alarm to wake up at 9 a.m. kind of sucks. Um, but I'll be doing that. Oof. And then uh, let's see. We have Tysama versus Diego Friera. Just keep moving. Yeah. It's Curtis hard. Blades. Curtis Blades should win that. His fight. Um, Komi. There you go. Yeah, we're... UFC cards are getting quite thin at the top. Um, co-main, Edson Barbosa versus Paul Felder. Which is I a, love a light co-main, though. It's a light co-main. But I, li- I like this fight a lot because um, it's, it's guaranteed violence. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to take Paul Felder, though. I am, too. I've been big on Paul Felder for a long time. I've, the American Dragon's a badass. Um, even though he lost to Mike Perry, whatever. Um, Barbosa, uh, he might be trending the wrong way, and I think it's a good opportunity for Felder to get a good win. Um, I mean, you're right. This is a light cold main event. This would be opening another pay-per-view card. Uh-huh. But it is what it is. And I mean, I'm they pick- got the bag already. They got the bag for going. Yeah, and uh, they're just going to put a bunch of people from the country and, you know, p- cater to the fans instead of the fans watching at home. So, whatever. Yeah. Oh, we skipped over the Islam. Um, I can never pronounce his last name. Makachev. Makachev. Yeah. yeah. Islam Makachev is the dude who looks legit, though. He does. He does. So, that should be a good fight. Um, I'm picking him, obviously. Uh, then we have main event, Khabib versus Dustin Poirier. It's crazy. Poirier is 25-5. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the guy's legit. He is the interim champion. I, I don't see him having anything for Khabib. And, and as much as I go into all these fights thinking, you know, Khabib's stand-up is kind of shaky. Uh, and... But he shows that he can neutralize people who have incredible stand-up just by the threat of his takedown. It's how he floored Connor. You know, he faked the shoot and then came over the top and just waylaid, waylaid him with the right hand. So you look at that, Khabib's just ability to maul people. 
I, I don't see how Poirier withstands the storm that is Khabib. I, I think it's another win. Dominant I, win. I agree. Um, I think Poirier, you know, he is special. He's always been a special talent, even when he was a featherweight. When he first came in, people thought he'd be a future champion. And he finally got that when he beat Max Holloway. But he beat a Max Holloway that was coming up from 45. Khabib is a natural lightweight. The scary thing about this fight is people look at Poirier and people automatically think that Poirier is like the bigger guy. He's not. Poirier is actually shorter than Khabib, which is fucking scary. Because now you got a guy who... Because Poirier moved up from 145. Yeah. So, but Khabib is taller. Um, I think Khabib doesn't have the same amount of reach, but it doesn't matter. If he gets his hands on you, you're fucked. So, Dustin Poirier, like, his, his opportunity to win here is to is to withstand the storm for the first couple of rounds to catch Khabib slipping. That is the only way he's going to win this fight. Either you catch him cold in the first two minutes, or you find a way to get Khabib comfortable, because he did this against Ally Akinta. When Khabib was up big, he started kind of fucking around, throwing hands, and like, ah, you know, that's when you can catch Khabib, when he falls asleep at the wheel. If you're not dead-ass tired. Yeah, but that's the problem. Khabib's whole game is to mow you down. But Poirier, that's his best shot. Like, look, if I can't knock you out in the first two minutes, weather the storm. Keep the distance. Use the jab. Do your best to not get taken down. It, it, wait for Khabib to fall into that false sense of security. He does it often. And then take advantage of it. But if you don't, and if you just kind of let Khabib run you over, because Khabib's, I don't want to say he's a front runner, but we've never really seen Khabib have to come from behind in any fight. No. I mean, he's only lost one round, and that's to Conor McGregor. Yeah, so it's like... So he's people say Conor got dominated. Conor did better than everyone else, sadly, right. by winning a round. So he's just something to withstand the storm. I just don't think Dustin Poirier could do it. But, but that's his, this his, has his been a crazy-ass year in MMA. So if Cormier – or excuse me, Cormier. If Poirier happens to just catch him and we see Khabib just fucking wobbled and drops the ground and Poirier jump on top and finish him, I wouldn't be surprised either. No, I wouldn't. It's like watching DC lose and all this – like, this has been a crazy fucking year in MMA. Watching Amanda just start Cyborg. And like, it just seems like these people who are damn near unbeatable are just being caught more and more frequently. Yeah, and it's the thing about Khabib, and I think this is very intriguing, is you still, if you still look at his record, there's still holes there. Yeah. Like, there's still, like, you still look and you go, all right, well, yeah, he beat Connor, but yeah, we kind of really want to be there that night. He had a long time off. Um, he beat Michael Johnson. So, um, like he hasn't fought Tony Ferguson yet. He hasn't fought Justin Gagey. Like Dustin Poirier might be his most well-rounded and stiffest test who's been active to date. So there's a, there's a level of danger. How invincible is Khabib? I think we're going to find out. I still think Gagey is the toughest matchup for Khabib. Just because pure wrestling skill and the guy who's just going to throw fucking hands. I just, uh, I might, I might. Have to lean towards Tony Ferguson because how unorthodox he is and how great he is in the scramble and how long he is. Gagey, I think Gage is a tough fight as well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But Gage doesn't have a propensity to get hit a lot and, and engage in the firefights where I think Khabib would just sniff that shit out and take him down. But See, I think Gagey might kick the shit out of his leg, and that's a whole different problem Khabib has ever faced. But, that, but therein lies the point. We haven't seen Khabib against an active top-shelf fighter. And it was kind of, I'm not going to say the same thing with Nate Diaz, but you look at his, Khabib's resume and it looks good, and then you start dissecting it and you're like, ah, he didn't fight this guy or this guy, or okay, he needs to fight somebody. But he passes the eye test, and that's kind of what really matters. No, I agree. So uh, 
Man, I'll give Khabib it, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Dustin came in there and pulled some crazy shit uh, out of his hat and just wins this fight. So, man, it's been a long show, but we were go, we were gone Wait, for. There's, two there's weeks. one more fight. There's a Bellator fight. There's a Bellator Bellator fight. Congo. Yes, the featherweight tournament starts. There is yes. Um, Bader saying he's the best heavyweight in the world. He's a little guy to be saying that. Yeah. Um, uh, Bader's gonna win. He should. Chuck Congo's like 50 years old. Yeah, but. I was about to say. Uh, but again, big men, little gloves. That's what I'm saying. One punch changes everything. Ryan Bader is like natural light heavyweight. He's kind of, he's an undersized heavyweight. So he's going against a, a guy who can crack. The whole division could get turned upside down. Chuck Congo becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. Who would have thought that shit? Especially at this age. Yeah, and then, I don't know. That'd just be Bellator's luck, right? I mean, that's that's what Bellator is. <laughs> like they they find something really good, and then it just goes to shit. Uh, good card though, Daniel Strauss. Yeah, the featherweight versus Campos. Man. Pat Curran's on this. Uh, Manuel Sanchez against Tywin Claxton. Tywin Claxton's that guy who did that flying knee where he pulled the guy's head down. The black dude. Yep. Yeah, he's he's pretty legit. This should be good. This should be good. Yeah, no, this they got a legit card. They featured uh, some young people here in the beginning. There's a lot of fights on their card all the damn time though. There really is. This is, oof, Lord, whoever has to cover the entire prelims. But, no, a good good main card. I will definitely be watching this, too. I'm glad you reminded me. Um, yeah, Bader versus Congo, though. You never know. 265. Bader's tiny 265. He's yeah, never man. hitting that limit. What does he come in at? Like 212? Uh, he'd probably come in at 220, probably be all muscles. But he's just, man, he's so little. So yeah. little guy. Fucking crazy. So that's... That's going to be fun. I'll pick Vader. But, yeah, again, MMA's crazy this year. Who the hell knows? Um, that's our show for this week, though. We want to thank all of you guys again for listening, as always, for supporting us at StarCast and Wrestling with Stereotypes 2. We're going to keep it going. going to keep it rolling. We appreciate all you guys. Make sure you guys follow us on Patreon, dropping episodes on there as well for you guys at The Corner Podcast. On social media, at The Corner LSN. On all platforms, me at Kel Dansby, him at Andres Hale. Covered a lot today. Till next week, we're out. Peace.